Hey there, this is Bobby with the Rock Guys Podcast, and you are listening to Marv Smooth on the Pods Like Us Podcast. Check him out. Hello and welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Grubel, known to my friends as Marv. And this time I am speaking with Mike Norris from the show My Classic Album. Hey, Mike. Thanks for being here. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm great. How are you doing tonight? Well, I'm looking forward to this, that's for sure. You know, I mean, I'm always, <laughs> I, I always look forward to music shows being an ex-musician or still a musician. Oh, well. But whatever. Yeah, I'm, absolutely. Absolutely. I've always got an instrument in any room whatsoever, so if if, if the feeling takes me, I go there. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way to do it. It is. So what's your earliest musical memory? So I think, because I've often presumed I'd be asked this question, it's not come up on other podcasts I've appeared on. I think my earliest musical memory, I was about four years old, yeah. and... My, so I've got I've actually got this album on vinyl now, but my mum and dad owned it was a double a double CD of the very best of Elton John, and obviously I'm still a huge fan of Elton John. Um, we've yet to cover him on my classic album, which I think is a shame, but deviating off a little bit there. And Somebody's got I to remember, do goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, yeah. So I was just in the kitchen. I don't know if my mum was making tea or, or what was going on, but it was Nikita by Elton John. Which obviously it's maybe not necessarily a classic in the way of ones like on Goodbye Yellow Brick Road or Captain Fantastic, but that obviously that was that first memory of a song of that really sticking with me and thinking like, oh, what what is that? You know, um, and I, I mean I still love the song to this day. It's still one of my favorite Elton John songs. Not that I think it gets gets played a lot. I don't think particularly, um, but I think it's a great one. And then I think from that point on, that's when I started kind of raiding. Um, my mum and dad's CD collection. That's where my love of like Queen and Bowie and, and of course Elton and all of that comes from. And then obviously, as I'm sure we'll get onto, that kind of uh, spiralled out into all the different kind of bands and genres and stuff I love now. Absolutely. Although going back to that with Elton, in some ways, I think actually um, um, Captain Fantastic and the and and etc. I actually think that that might be a better album in a sense than Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Yeah, I think it, I think it depends what you're looking for, isn't it? it? It's it's a tough call. It is. It depends on what mood you're in. It does. I think that whole period, you know, the, those early, and you can say this for many bands, but those 70s albums, the kind of early to mid 70s for Elton John, I don't think you can go wrong with any of them, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> No, but that you were saying there as well with Nikita, um, you know, we're already going off on tangents, we've only just started. But you, you were saying with Nikita, I mean, I mean that, that you know, I'm, I'm a man who's full of musical trivia. That one, I think it works, that song itself in a way, because, the, you know, the people that he's got behind him on that song aren't his regular team, shall we say, that are there. So you've got... You've got the cream of the '80s crop there on that song, essentially as well with working there with him, actually playing to their best ability. So you know you've got uh, you've got Nick Kershaw on guitar on mm-hmm. Nikita, and then of course you've got um, George Michael is one of the two backing vocalists on there as well. I think Nikita. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think on the on the on the same album. Um, which is Ice on Fire, 
there's, there's, I'm sure it's Ice on Fire. There's a track on the album that Roger Taylor and John Deacon from Queen play on. Uh, so, it, you know, again, his 80s stuff gets ignored quite a lot. And, you know, yeah. there's some that maybe don't match what we did previously. But I like Ice on Fire for, for a few reasons. But one of them being, obviously, I've always had a soft spot for, for Nikita. So there you go. Absolutely. And then the follow-up album, uh, Red Strikes. Is it Red Strikes back that you've got you've got John Deacon and Roger Taylor on there as well on one of the songs? think it's on that or on the album mm. another one of their his albums but there's a there's a big relationship there between elton and the queen anyway quick edit here for a fact check roger taylor and john deacon of queen both appear on the songs too young on the album ice on fire and on the song angeline on leather jackets there is, and I think uh, it's quite nice how I kind of like obviously became such a huge Queen fan and an Elton fan, and again, their stories do kind of merge into each other quite a lot. Which obviously, as a four-year-old, <laughs> I didn't realize at all. But you know, obviously, as you as I kind of dive dove into music biographies and listened to all these albums, you know, you can hear these careers kind of interweave, which is which is lovely. But then I, I like that with 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 Elton anyway, and a lot of these artists were the, the there's the interweaving, like you said. So you know, um, for instance, the, uh, the the album of Elton's uh, "The One," which I think is an underrated album of Elton's. I think it's a fa- fantastic album oh, yeah. for the most part. And uh, you've got on there, you've got that great duet with with Eric Clapton on their "Runaway Train." Hmm. And, and I think that's interesting to talk about the one because again, going through those albums when I was kind of a kid, that was one of them. The one was in there, um, and that yeah. again, that's probably one of my favorite Elton albums. Like the the last song and and the title track, I think are just are just unbelievable. And I think it was was it two thousand fourteen. I was lucky enough to see Elton John in concert, and obviously he brought the whole band and the whole show, and it was amazing. The one song where it was just him and his piano was the one. So for me, wow. that was a really special moment. Um, so. Yeah, so it was oh, fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Wow, that'd be interesting to hear it because that, that's really, really stripped back for a song that has an incredible arrangement and production on it on the album originally. You know, to, to do that would mm-hmm. be incredible that's... to listen to. Yeah, and I think for me, I think if you were to ask me my, what is your favourite Elton John song, as much as I do have a soft spot for Nikita and some of these other ones we've talked about, it probably is the one. So to be able to go and see someone that you've listened to, I mean, let's think 2014. So I was, I was heading towards 30. So I will, I'll have been about 28, 29, um, you know, to finally see this guy in concert and for him to sing your favorite song and it just be him and his piano was a pretty kind of, it was a bit of a goosebumps moment really, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I think it's caught a magic moment of, you know, it's, it's a perfect integration of Elton's music to, to Bernie Taupin's lyrics. I think really, I think it's one of their better Mm. later numbers that they've written together. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fantastic album. And I think one thing, obviously I would, I would say this with my podcast in general, but even from our conversation, if there's a takeaway, dive into these albums, you know, if, Obviously, if people are listening and they're only really familiar with Elton's like 70s stuff, dive into the one, dive into Ice on Fire, you know, dive into these albums because they're, you know, they're, there's definitely some some fantastic stuff on there. Yeah, we're going ahead now. I mean, I've got this bit bit for later on, but I'm going to bring this up now. Go I mean, it. it's sort of a fear of mine because people, 
But then again, for years, you know, people have said this and it hasn't actually happened as such yet. But people keep mentioning about the hmm. the uh, the fact that the, the the era of albums is is going away, and it, it sort of hasn't. But it's a fear of mine because mm. I think there's a, I think it's an art form in itself, an album where they're not always you know hit singles, but they have hidden gems on them, and th- there's something more. I like the experimentation of albums. I mean, my, my favourite Beatles album would be Revolver, uh, which, incidentally, mm-hmm. I, I liked the fact that the first time you ever heard that was to listen to it for the show. Yeah, yeah, that's well. That's right. But there's something about an album that you don't get from a single, from a hit single. You know, an album is a completely different beast, and I think people are missing something if they cherry-pick songs individually and don't listen to an entire album. Because, you know, there's a whole thing about it where the artist will record the songs and they're done in, they're, they're done in such a way on the album, for the most part, they flow from what... And the, it's purposely set up that way. And it, it just misses misses something, I think, that's really important to just go through a song and not listen to an album. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, one thing that's quite interesting, this... I recorded an episode of my classic album last night as we're talking yep. um, with a band from Mexico called The Warning. And they, I mean, they're three sisters from Mexico, young up and coming band. They chose My Chemical Romance as the Black Parade. So a much more recent album than we'd normally do on my classic album. But I don't, actually, I quite like it when we do those episodes. I certainly wouldn't say, oh, well, that's too recent. Go back and try again. But they, we were talking about this a little bit where, even they were saying, and the, the eldest member of the warning is twenty one, yeah. and and she was saying, you know, even my generation, that's not how we engage with music, you know. So we were talking about things like TikTok and this, that, and the other. So for her to, and for the whole family, I guess, to really kind of cl- click in to the idea of an album. And if anyone's heard the Black Parade, it's a it's a concept album, a rock it opera, is. very much in the vein of you know the Wall by Pink Floyd, yep. Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust, yep. all this Tommy, sort of thing, etc. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, it's it's an interesting thing that you know there's these people that these kind of younger people who are engaging with the album as a, as he says, and it sounds pretentious, but it's true. Almost like a, it is. It's 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 like an art form, isn't it? You know what I've learned so much from my classic album is that it's not just about right. Let's just chuck these on two sides of vinyl or chuck these on the CD your track placement is so important and the journey that an album takes you on and the context of a song outside of an album, but also within the album. So, you know, talking about these iconic, so even songs we've talked about so far, they'll have a different meaning within the album that they're from than when they release as a single. So I just think it's, I, I, I'm with you. I, I really hope that doesn't fade away. And I think that's one of the reasons why I enjoy doing this podcast so much, because I want to set, it's, it's to celebrate that format of the album. You know, um, and I think that's really important. I, I certainly don't want that to go anywhere. And you know, I, I do stream music. I've got a Spotify account and an Apple Music account and all of this. Um, but that doesn't stop me engaging with albums in the way that is is intended. And also, obviously, out with Shotty, you'll not be able to see them. But there's obviously my massive record collection from my time doing the podcast and other albums I've picked up along the way. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, uh- Going with that, I mean, I, I, I have a problem. I, I you know, I'm, I, I use Spotify, I use Amazon Music and iTunes, you know, as in Apple Music, as it's called now. 
Um, but yeah, I have a I have a problem with Spotify, and I'm not sure. I think somebody's told me it's changed recently. Where I want to listen to an album with Spotify, and then it'll suddenly while you're listening to the album, it'll pop a a song, a random song that it thinks is like or like that album, and I'm I don't really want to do that, or it'll put play it out of sequence. And it irritates me when, when it does that. I, I just want to mm. listen to the album as an album. I don't want to listen to anything else. And then, you know, once I've listened to the album, if I want to listen to something yeah. else and it says, oh, we'd recommend that you might like this, then I'm like, oh, yeah, all right, I'll listen to that. But, yeah, so I yeah. have that problem with, with Spotify. Yeah. Yeah, and I think obviously, as we'll talk about, a lot of the guests that come on my classic album are up and coming artists, independent artists. You know, obviously, I've discovered the majority of them via streaming. So streaming absolutely plays a role in kind of the the music scene today. Obviously, it'd be a whole debate we could talk for hours about about artists being compensated for you know their music being played. Yep. But I do think at the same time that it's like. Yeah, it's it's difficult, isn't it? It's 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 the art form of of the album. You don't you don't want to look, obviously. I can see you're wearing that you know a Queen a Day at the Races t shirt. I have to listen yeah. to that album all the way through. You know, obviously, think about somebody to love, for example. We can pull that out. You know, it was a big single. I got number two, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But again, listening to a Day at the Races all the way through. When I start listening to Tie Your Mother Down with the cool little guitar intro that it has on the album, I then want to yeah. see that album through. The thought of then them saying, "Oh well." Because you like that, you might like this. <laughs> You're like, well, yeah, I might do, but can I listen to that later, please? Right now, I'm engaged. Yeah. I'm engaging with this album. That's what I'm doing. But that album in itself, a day at the races, that is that is set up in a, that is set up in a certain way as well with a certain track listing. Because you you have it it it, mm-hmm. it 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 is bookended by that instrumental piece that you're talking about there. Because at the end, it repeats it, although it is reversed. But it repeats it at the end. You know, it's exactly the same front to back. Yeah. And it does that trick, like I said, you know, of reversing it for the ending. So it's played forward or is it the other way around? Is it reversed at the front and then forward at the at the end? I can't can't remember mm. which way it is, but um Yeah. But yeah, and uh, there's a name for it as well. And I forgot what it's called. It's there's a name for that type of thing that, that Brian's doing. Yeah, but again, if you think, think about that, as e- well, either. Oh, I know, I know, it's so frustrating, isn't it? But it's when you've got, obviously, either if you're listening to that on vinyl and you turn it over, or you've got it on CD and maybe you've just put repeat all. Like, what I love about that album is, like you say, it comes full circle and it goes round. And I've got vivid memories of hearing that for the first time, that I was a, obviously a huge Queen fan, but my parents had greatest hits, Made in Heaven, and innuendo. Yep. So obviously, greatest hits. Obviously, covering the seventies. Obviously, a, a whole decade there that wasn't really being represented um, in their music collection. But I remember my uncle, who like me, and that's probably where I get a lot of my music taste from. My uncle had all those seventies albums on vinyl, and he made me a tape. One side had a day at the races, and the other side had news of the world. So to put that on, and obviously that, that was probably with the exception of innuendo and made in heaven. Yep. That was the first time I was listening to kind of those classic queen albums um and i remember again i remember just that that introduction just just blown me away before we even kind of got into to tie your mother down well that's an interesting one as well there where you've where you've mentioned about the albums that that you'd had had so you had the 70s albums and then basically skipped the 80s and went straight to innuendo which is Mm. a very 
I mean, innuendo, a lot of it actually does harken back to the to the 70s, especially, especially the title track. The title track is bombast yeah. and prog as uh, Queen 2. It's got as much progression, progressive mm-hmm. styling in that song as Queen 2 did itself, which, you know, we've already talked before that that is my favourite Queen album, very closely followed by Sheer Art yeah. Attack. Oh, no, yeah. Mm. yeah. And it, it, yeah, and I think it, it's interesting. I don't know if that was just around the time, because if we're, we're talking the early 90s, so those other albums, um, obviously Maiden Heaven was 95, so that album will have probably popped in their collection a, bit, a little bit later. But certainly I remember... So if we're thinking, it must it must it must have been after Freddie passed because I remember, I remember like seeing on the news that this guy had passed away and thinking, well, I don't know who he is, but this is obviously a really big deal. Um, you know, people obviously have recollections of my parents talking about it. You know, um, like I say, it being all all over the news, all this kind of stuff. So thinking, so who was this Freddie Mercury? And I remember having this this thought in my mind. I think I misunderstood the headlines and thought that he died on stage. So I had this very vivid image of this guy dying on stage. Um, and then obviously as I got more into the band and obviously, I mean, let me think there was some compilation albums that came out in the yeah. UK. Um, again, I think once my parents realized I had that bug for queen, they would then buy me albums for Christmas and my birthday and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. Like think about innuendo like Steve Howe from Yes plays that cool flamenco solo he on does. the title track. Yeah. Um, so obviously uh, about as pro- about as progressive as you can get, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the reason maybe those albums were there was probably more about the the time in which I discovered uh, them. So they were obviously buying those albums as they came out. Um, and then, like I say, it was my uncle who had the had the collection on vinyl that he kind of transferred on the tape for me. Thinking back to it, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I was around at the time. So the um, uh, in in the February of that year, uh, before before the year the year that Freddie died. So Freddie died in November, and in February of that year, uh, yeah. prior, the Innuendo album came out, um, and it was preceded by the by the um, title track as the lead single. Um, and the title track itself was interesting when it first came out because I was a huge Queen fan. I was a member of the Queen fan club at the time. And so mm-hmm. um, the um, the single came out and the video, and I thought, wow, this video is interesting because it was all animated and based around video footage uh, that had been on previous videos. And I thought, well, that's a bit of an artistic statement. And, and only later do you realise, you know, looking at the looking at the videos and the way that they were done and the artistic way that they, you, you know, when they did the the actual music videos where they were in them, other than the recording studio ones, yeah, they'd done it in black and white and they'd done it mm-hmm. in a certain way. That looking back on it, you know, they were actually hiding how he was at the time, um, but it was done in such a way to cover that. But there was still being very, yeah. There was always a theatricality to the band because of Freddie, really, and I think that that added to that. So you look back on it and you can see that that's why they were doing it. And now I've not thought about it till now that we're talking. I look back on the album Innuendo at this exact moment, looking back now, as perhaps because they knew when they were making the album that he was 
the way that, you know, he was actually ill, very ill, perhaps there the might have been a thing of them saying, do you know what, we'll do songs that, you know, I don't. we don't mind hearkening back to all of our eras, essentially. And in a way, the whole album does do that. You've got bits that, you know, that harken back to the 70s, yeah. like I said. And then you've also got bits that harken to the uh, to the 80s, you know, like um, I'm trying to think. There's some poppy numbers. I mean, I'm going slightly mad would be a bit poppy. That That's actually a favourite. I, I like that song a lot. Yeah. I think it's interesting, that song. Yeah. I think Delilah's very poppy. Yes, that's a very pop song, um, but it could never have been a single. No, not, not at all. <laughs> not at all in any way. Um, good song as, a, as an album song, but I think that's where albums are a good thing is because mm-hmm. there are songs like that where you like the song, but you know damn well that it would not be a hit song. But perhaps they were sort of more accepting of the past and saying, do you know what? Perhaps we ought to do an entire, we ought to do material that sod it. We're not looking at trying to be up and with the times. Let's do an album that's for us and does harken back to the things that we love, which is why I think the songs work so well on that album is because they've thrown all that to the wind of the, you know, let's be commercial and gone, let's do an album, write the songs that we like to write and do that. Yeah, I think there's two songs for me that stand out because I'd say Innuendo's probably, it's probably in my top three Queen albums. I'm pleased we're talking about it, actually. Um, I I think for me, there's two songs that stand out in terms of what you're saying. So one of them is is Bijou that is towards the end because obviously of the way they kind of turn that structure of a song inside out. So we've got obviously Brian playing these solos kind of either side of just a short little passage from Freddie. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful song. And then the other one, All God's People, because I think, What's interesting about All God's People is obviously it's it's quite an overtly religious song, which I think that even in the early nineties was probably quite the untrendy thing to do. So I think that, you know, having this song about like God is amazing, we're all God's people, you know. Um and I went to a Church of England school, so that didn't really stick out to me too much that song at the time. Yeah. But obviously when I obviously when you get out in the in the real world and you you kind of obviously meet people with different religious views and stuff, I think I realised, you know, that, that song probably was quite quite a bold statement at the time yep. um so i think there are songs like that and i mean even delilah the fact that he's writing a song about his cats yeah. i always i always imagine that like <laughs> if even a couple of albums earlier if they'd been like freddie we're not putting that on <laughs> but then like and it's a great song you know what i mean as, as, as a kid it was it was one that i really liked um but like i say they it could absolutely never be a single no but this is the beauty of the beauty of the album that you get these songs that you can put in and they just fit and they work and you know Innuendo is a great album. Like I say, it's easily top three in my Queen al- in top, top three for my Queen albums. Absolutely. I find it funny that Delilah, uh, Brian, and Roger weren't to even now to this day they're a bit off about that song, but they did it and but they did it with so much class. I mean, Brian May's. Uh, mm cat style guitar work is absolutely perfect for the song <laughs> and um an, an, inc- yeah. an incidental yeah. bit of trivia here is that all god's people uh i do know that i do know that that came from it was originally written for for freddie's uh, barcelona project that was because it was a co-write with yeah. mike moran yeah who we but- did the barcelona project with and so 
they got enough material for the Barcelona project for the album, put that there, and they got that left over. That they'd obviously done basic tracks for uh, prior to, and then uh, I think it was John Deacon because he'd been part of the Bar- Barcelona project as well. He'd been on actually on played bass on one or two songs on there. And he sort of like mm. fiddled a bit with the music and whatever, and then brought it to to Brian and Roger, and they said, "Yeah, okay, we'll we'll do something with that." And I think I'm glad actually that they did that because I think it makes it a better song than it would have been if it had stayed on the Barcelona project, where it would have been just you know one of the operatic songs along with a, another low, an album full of operatic songs, which. I mean, that Barcelona album is, you know, he's, he's done a perfect job there, Freddie, with that. But to bring that song then, which is very mm-hmm. operatic and theatrical, and bring it to Queen works perfectly for the band because they are that sort of group of musicians who, you know, like I said, my favourite Queen album is Queen 2, so there's that progressive thing there. So I think it leans towards that, so it yeah. brings out the best qualities of the band and they they do a perfect job on that song. They do. And I think it, it, it suits their vocals perfectly for the reasons you've said. Do you know what I mean? That it's, yep. it's, it's a very operatic song. I think anyone who didn't know that it was meant to be on Barcelona probably wouldn't be surprised. Like it's one of those things where you would go, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it really does. And I think it's, but for me, again, an important part of innuendo. And I think, it's really interesting to hear about all these kind of different moving parts. Like I know Brian May re-released, um, he re-released Back to the Light last year. Um, he started in the UK. I'm not sure if he did it internationally. Um, and again, a lot of the songs that were on Innuendo, songs like Headlong and I Can't Live With You, Brian had written with the intention of putting them on Back to the Light, but they ended up on Innuendo. So again, it's thinking about, obviously, this band that even when Freddie was as ill as he was, they were still very creative, all sorts of projects going on where these songs ended up. And to be fair, really, like they all, I feel like they all ended up in the right place. I think these things happen, happen for a reason, don't they? Yeah. Hi, this is Katie of Bad Council with some good counsel. You should keep listening to Marv at Pods Like Us. <laughs> so what was the first album that you actually remember owning yourself? So I think to, to stay on the track that we're on, I think it was a Queen album. So, okay. um, so I believe that I obviously had some Christmas money, went into town and bought Sheer Heart Attack um, because the, the cover really stood out to us. Um, Good start. And, and that's ended up being, obviously we're going to talk about this probably a bit more later, that ended up being my favourite Queen album. Okay. Hey, sorry. If I do start coughing, I've got a bit of a. <coughs> excuse me. I've just come off the back end of a chest infection, so there's a few little bits of coughing going there. But yeah, but yeah, I walked into obviously into the the shop in Durham, and obviously there was loads of different Queen albums looking through. When I was thinking, like, where do I start? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, what's where's the area? So I thought, as I think so many people do, and I hear this all the time on my classic album, it's when the cover really strikes you. Um, yeah. and that and that one did and I thought right I'm going for that um, and I just think it is it's just a fantastic album like from 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 back to front and we we did quite early on in the in my classic albums run um, one of our guests picked 
sheer heart attack. Um, and I was obviously over the moon when he did. It was a guy called Greg Hart who plays in a fantastic band called Cats in Space, who yep. I would recommend people checking out. Um, we just had the most amazing conversation about that album. And I just think it's just, it's got everything that I love about Queen in one album. So like other albums, yep. there might be like, a slight element that's not there or it might be better represented in another song or another album. But for me, everything I love about Queen is on that album. And I think that very often when people ask me, why do you love Queen? Why are you such a huge Queen fan? All this kind of stuff. The answer to that is listen to Shea Heart Attack and then come back. Um, because I think yep. it just, you know, I was on a podcast called Eclectic Soundtracks recently um, with a guy called skunk manhattan who is obviously he's he joined me for my classic album a few years back and to return the favor i went on his show and he kind of turned the tables on me a little bit and we went kind of track by track through through sheer heart attack and it's just it's just got everything that i could want from a queen album you know i love as much as i love freddie mercury i love the tracks where brian may or roger taylor take a vocal um obviously they're both present there on 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 sheer heart attack i love kind of just the fact that it just jumps around that it's not really a rock album or a pop album or a metal album or a vaudeville album or whatever like it's all of it and none of it at the same time um i love freddie's earlier songs which obviously queen 2 is full of them um yep. about this kind of magical world of rye you know there's a few of those songs on the album so and that's not an exhaustive list but that's just some of the things that i love about about Queen and Sheer Heart Attack, it just has all of them. It's just, for me, it's... And I know, I mean, A Night at the Opera is amazing. I've got a, a framed vinyl of A Night at the Opera on my wall, but yep. Sheer Heart Attack is, it's for me, it's the quintessential Queen album. And obviously, you know, I know you said it for you, it's second after after Queen 2. There's just something yep. about that time period, isn't there? Yeah, it, it's very close second, I will say, because I, I used to be sort of like one or the other, and I could never make my mind up between the two because there's a similarity between them both. Yeah. But at the same time, I see Sheer Art Attack almost as a transition, in a way, from the first two albums to what they would then do afterwards on A Night at the Opera. There's these little periods when, in Queen where you'll see the transition like, so when you go from uh, Day at the Races was a natural progression from night at the opera and then you you've sort of then got a transition then with news of the world between what they had on you know night at the opera and day at the races to what they'll have then following that on on jazz but yeah you, you know you know that it's yeah yeah you, you can't go wrong with very much of the 70s in, in with queen in my, my opinion really I think for me, and there's very few bands that I can say this about, I can't pick fault with any of the first six Queen albums. So from their debut right up to News of the World, I think those albums are just untouchable. Jazz is an album that, out of all of them, jazz is probably the one that I visit the least, which is okay. I, which is strange because I think so. I had this conversation with someone where they were like, what's your least favourite Queen album? And my mind went to jazz. Yep. But then I think about some of the songs that are on jazz and I think, well, no, no, actually there's some great songs on there. I think it's just one that I probably visit the least. I think when you're talking about these transition albums as well, I think the game is a very good example of that. So the game is almost this transition from what we hear on jazz and and news of the world to the more kind of 
disco funky sound that we hear on Hot Space. And I know me and you yep. were, were talking a bit about Hot Space last night when we were chatting over, over Instagram that that's an album that, that even Queen fans tend to knock to a degree. Hot Space, controversially, I love that album. I think it's a great album because I, for me, again, it's almost a preview of, because it's a very Freddy album. And I think it's the start of kind of obviously shortly after that album, Freddie's solo career begins, and you know I've got a lot a lot of time for Freddie's solo stuff. So, so again, it, yeah. So I think it's a lot of about right, you know, what was happening in the band at that time. Obviously, there's the there are rocky tracks on there. Obviously, under pressure is on there for God's sake. You know what I mean? Yep. But there's 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 put out the fire, um, which I think is a great a great one. Action this day. I think it's an yep. awesome kind of rocky track. But then you know I think the tracks that people probably point to that they would use to kind of batter that album if you like you know like dancer i think dancer is a great track but it's one of those yep. that i think a lot of hardcore queen fans would be like oh dancer no i don't think so um <laughs> but but it's no, fabulous live mm-hmm. yeah absolutely dancer, dancer is fabulous live if you've seen the any anything from that tour that they did for the hot space uh album when that came out there were some incredible live performances of songs off Hot Space, like Dancer and, you know, and uh, Staying pa- Stay Power is Stay amazing power. live. That's an incredible yeah. song live. I think, funnily enough, and th- this relates a little bit to kind of, so I was always very quite, quite broad, not broad-minded, quite narrow-minded, sorry, in terms of my music tastes up yep. to a certain age, whereas, like, if you don't like what I like, then you're wrong essentially which i don't think i'm very much not like that now and i don't think i could host a podcast in the manner that i've got if i I was but i think hot space was part of that that obviously i've poured over queen biographies and watched queen documentaries and people like oh hot space that was where things maybe weren't quite so great this album's not so good avoid hot space and then i went into town and this is when i'd probably bought most of the queen albums by that point i think hot space in my mind was going to be more of a like completist thing you know, right. and I picked up the album and I had my Discman and I popped it on and I was listening to it. And one of my friends was with me and he was like, what are you listening to? And I gave it to him and he was like, this is great. What's this? <laughs> and I was like, it's Queen. And he was like, this is amazing. And like, I was listening to the album. And I thought, yeah, you know what? Like I've spent years presuming that this album sucks because that's what, you know, the, the rock journalists tell you. That's what certain corners of the fan base tell you. But you make your own mind up. You know what I mean? I think Hot Space is where I started to think, well, hang on. What else have I been missing out on here? Um, and, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a rock guy through and through. But, you know, there are other genres that I love. There are other bands and singers that I love, other songs that I love. Um, I'll never discount anything until I've given it a go, you know. And then obviously if I don't like it, I don't like it. But at least I gave it, at least I gave it a shot. Yeah. I think there's also the revisionism there or the opinion that, that fans have because Hot Space probably works more towards the leanings of Freddie and John because John, yeah. John John Deacon is very much a fan of, of disco, of funk and soul music because, uh, I mean, he was in a soul group before Queen. Um was it called the art? Was it art opposition? I think they were called or something. Mm. Um, so it, it doesn't. So the, the funking and the this the uh, the disco side to it probably didn't sit well with with Roger and Brian as much. 
so I think that colours people's opinions maybe that half of the group weren't as into it as the other half of the group. Yeah. Uh, and I think as well, thinking like, so obviously this is just coming off the back of the game. So yep. obviously the, the the big single in America was another one bites the dust. I've read stuff that obviously this got played on a lot of, and this obviously the terminology that was used at the time, like the black radio stations, which, yep. you know, obviously <laughs> is a, a term I certainly wouldn't, would, wouldn't use um, with people thinking that, you know, this was a black band that were releasing like a, like a funk song. And then obviously crazy little thing called love was the other big hit. So I guess that really, if they were wanting to capitalize on that American market, they had two choices. They either go down the kind of rockabilly Elvis route, which had proved successful for them, or they go down the funkier route. And obviously they had two people really in the band, really invested in going in that direction. And if you think for John as a bass player, like how much more fun must it be to play a bit? Like, some of the bass lines that John Deacon is over the years, you know, I mean, another one bites the dust is amazing. Dragon Attack. I mean, yep. what an amazing bass line. I know we're talking yep. the game there. And that's I think a Brian May song. Yeah, exactly. I mean, mm. Stay in Power. Stay in Power yep. has, a, has a really cool little bass line as well. Um, so there's, you know, it must have been a lot more fun for John to be able to do that stuff. But again, that's that actually a synth bass. Yeah, exactly. And I think... And it's Freddie. Was that Freddie? That's oh, right, playing synth bass on that. Oh, because, there you the, go. because all the guitar work on that, for the more, mo- well, most of the guitar work is actually John yeah. on that staying power. Yeah. So you see, so it, it's kind of a sense of kind of marginalizing the other guys where they've got less to do. And I know that obviously for years, I know Roger didn't even like another one bites the dust. Obviously, they probably play it most nights now when they yeah. when they play with Adam Lambert. But, you know, Roger famously hated that song. But obviously, I mean, it was such a huge hit. It was hard to, hard to, hard to, hard to deny. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, Roger famously says that about Another One Bites the Dust and a lot of, you know, those songs on, you know, uh, Hot Space. He doesn't even like his own song that much action this day, apparently. Because mm. um, I've seen, um, you know, you know, if you get Queen's Greatest Flicks um, yeah. 2, the video mm-hmm. version of it, you, you yeah. actually get uh, commentary, you know, on the DVDs mm-hmm. of uh, Brian and Roger uh, list, listening and responding to it, and he, he famously hates his own song. But I would say that without them going that route, it, it, they wouldn't have then, you know, Roger himself wouldn't have then gone from that to do Radio Gaga, because I think Radio Gaga owes a lot to the experimentation of Hot Space. If they'd have not yeah. done Hot Space, I don't think they would have gone forward and done what they did on the works. Great, absolutely, and also to go down another rabbit hole. So obviously, I love all their solo craze, but for me, I, I've got a massive soft spot for Roger Taylor's solo stuff. Like, so have I. I absolutely love it. And I think that maybe if we think about the timelines of that, I think, I think Fun in Space probably came out just before Hot Space. But I think yep. that maybe, and you know, obviously, he did stuff with the Cross. Um, you know, he did Strange Frontier. I, I hazard to think that maybe he wouldn't have been so invested in his own solo career in the early 80s had he not been a little bit disenchanted so selfishly i'm, I'm kind of glad that happened because i mean over here in the uk and again I'm, I, i've not i don't know how well it did stateside but roger released which i believe will be a sixth solo album uh outsider last year yeah. and I, yeah. I named it obviously I, I always reveal at the end of the year on 
the my classic album pages, my albums of the year. And that's not out of any critical acclaim or anything, just the ones that I've enjoyed, you know. And for me, it was Roger's album Outsider because I just I absolutely like. There's just something about his solo stuff that really connects with me. Um, and I've always loved his voice. And um, and for me, Outsider is just a, a phenomenal album. So if you if you're a Queen fan looking to kind of explore some of the solo stuff and you listen to this, I would definitely recommend going into Roger Taylor's stuff being outsider which is the new one yep. and electric fire i don't know if you've heard that one before but that's, that's a good a, album oh, yeah, it, it, that's great genuinely you were talking i know we're going to talk about my top five albums in a bit if we were going top 10 electric fires in there absolutely wow wow but i i, I think that fun in space is an incredible debut album you know roger's yeah. first album i think that's a fantastic album and very much concept based in some area yeah. in one specific area yeah, I think what was great for me, and this is a bit of a personal thing, so it'll have been in October, so obviously to support the album he's just released, Roger went on tour. So obviously Queen yeah. Queen Adam Lambert have been um, trying to do a UK tour for a few years now. Obviously COVID's put paid to that. Um, but the restrictions were, were, were such in October that Roger was able to tour. And I believe Newcastle was the first date, um, and I went along. And I think obviously a lot of people who were there the, yeah, sure. They probably picked up the album because I think it got to number three over here, so it did really well. Right. Um, but obviously, a lot of them were there, obviously for Queen songs. He, of course, he did Radio Gaga. He did, um, you know, all the ones that you would you would expect from him. But also, he did do some kind of some cool little Queen classics like Tenement Funster. I lost my mind wow. when he did Tenement Funster. Wow. Well, he was also doing these tracks from albums like Fun in Space, Electric Fire, Strange Frontier. So for me, that was just an absolute thrill to, you know, to, to hear him singing these songs. And the band he had was sensational, um, you know, unbelievable. So I think for me, that was kind of a, I never thought I'd get that pleasure of seeing Roger Taylor live kind of on his own. So the fact that he did that to it, I've got to, um, I've got to thank him for that. Because obviously a lot of songs I never thought I'd hear live, I, I got to. Hot take here. I've actually done um, back in the days when I used to do, do used to play live. I actually mm. did do Loser in the End as uh, doing uh, ah. a couple of uh, acoustic nights where it was just me and acoustic guitar doing that song. Nice, I've done that in nice. my acoustic sets before. Yeah, I think you know for me, like I've I've got again going back to the streaming uh, topic, obviously. I, I digest albums as we've we've talked to death about in the way that yeah. they're intended, but I do have a playlist which is like like Roger vocal queen songs, the things like loser in the end and tenement funster and, and stuff. And I do have them on a playlist with some of his solo stuff. Um, you know what I mean? Just, I just think it, it's crazy. I mean, to be fair, they all had amazing voices, but I, yeah. I feel like there's an alternate universe somewhere that if Freddie, you know, if, if, if smile had gotten bigger, so to speak, like I imagine Roger could have been like a huge front man, um, in his own right. And obviously he did try that with the cross, but I think, you know, it just so happened he was he was in a band with arguably the greatest singer of all time. So, you know, uh, yep. th- th- that's just, yep. just kind of the deal. <laughs> hey, this is Brian with Concert Stamp Madness Podcast, and you're listening to Pods Like Us, a great show about other great shows. Absolutely. So going to the show then, so um, what's your history with podcasts then? I mean, how did you, how did you first get interested in podcasts? What, what, what were you listening to? Well, it's, it's quite interesting really. So that I, a university, so I mean, I'm 35 now. So when I was at university in my 
kind of late teens and early 20s I studied TV and radio production so I had quite big aspirations to go into kind of being like a I think by the time I came out of uni what I wanted to do was was present radio that was what I thought I would end up Um, reality kind of hit me a bit a bit of a crushing blow Um, and I worked in retail for a long time which there's absolutely no shame in but it wasn't for me it it wasn't what I wanted to do Um, and I struggled quite a bit with my my mental health in that time as well Um, and I think I've kind of touched on this a little bit where appropriate through the podcast, but yeah, over the years, uh, I mean, in my twenties, I struggled with panic attacks really severely, um, quite severe anxiety. And then as I got into my thirties, I started to struggle with depression quite a bit. And it was always music that got me through that, you know, that, you know, I had certain bands, certain singers that like, you know, even in the darkest of times, that music would kind of lift me out of that. And so let me think. So 2016 was was when the podcast started. So it's been running about six years now, which is is crazy to think, really. Yeah. But I was um, basically I was I was I was off work um, with another bout of, of of depression, if you like, um, kind of really struggling quite a bit. And I started thinking to myself, well, I need to do something. Like it, it kind of dawned on me. This is going to sound quite pathetic, but it, it kind of dawned on me. I was like, I haven't really got anything. Like like. I haven't got any hobbies. I haven't got anything that I'm passionate about. You know, I, people might be surprised to learn that I can't play an instrument. I okay. obviously don't have a, a musical bone in my body. I think sometimes I've spoke to certain guests and when I, if I, if I mention that, they're always really shocked because they presume that because I love music so much that I must be able to play guitar or something. I, ca- I can't. So it was like, right. So what could I do? Like, what could I do with myself? And I'd often thought to myself, how easy is it to start a podcast? Like, what do you do? <laughs> like, because, and this is what I say to people. And I, I said this in another interview, and the and 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 the host joked and he said, "Don't tell people; everyone will do it." But I think we should, you know. Like, I thought, it was, like, it's so easy to start a podcast. You know what I mean? You you think of a subject, yeah. you know, you buy yourself a mic, um, you know, you plug it in, and away you go. And so I thought to myself, right, well, I like to talk about music. I'm, you know, I, I'm struggling a bit at the moment. That'll really help me. I'm just gonna. I'm just going to see how it goes. So the first few episodes where people kind of dive back, the editing and the sound quality is a bit shoddy compared to, to what you'd hear now. But you what, you what you hear there is me talking with my friends for the most yeah. part. So, you know, Robin, you said obviously Revolver. You, we were talking about that episode earlier on. Yeah, That was my friend Robin who I met at university. He's quite a bit older than me. Um, he was actually an actor for my dissertation. So for my dissertation, um, me and my friends had to write and produce a short film. Um, and he played a part in that film and we stayed in touch. So I'd kind of called Robin and I'd said, if me and you were just to talk about an album for an hour, what would it be? And he picked Revolver, which I think in hindsight is the perfect album to start a classic albums podcast with so we did that that felt like it went pretty well so then i kind of kept going and then it was almost by accident that kind of musicians started getting involved because i think that obviously the hashtags and i, I, I still struggle with hashtags and stuff on instagram but like yep. the hashtags that i was using were obviously bringing up certain musicians who liked the idea of it so i think episode four we did um, Randy Newman's album, Good Old Boys. And that was yep. because there was a, a blues guitarist, a fantastic blues guitarist called Reed Turchie, who he had commented or responded to a post. And, um, and it was quite ironic. What had happened was, to kind of go off in a random direction for a moment, my mum and dad had got their old records out of the loft and I was going through them. And after 30 years of them being in storage, all of them had survived by one, which was a Gary Glitter album. Now, obviously... 
anyone who doesn't know, obviously Gary Glitter has been heavily discredited ever since for things that he's done outside of his music career. I'll, I'll leave it there. Yeah. Um, but it amused me that the only album that hadn't survived 30 years was a Gary Glitter album. So I put this on Instagram and, and Reed had seen this and found this amusing. So we'd got talking and he'd said, can I come on your podcast? Um, and at the moment, at, at this moment in time, it was a monthly podcast. It was something I was just doing to keep my mental health up. Um, but I thought, yeah, absolutely. But then from that point on, I, with the exception of maybe a couple of episodes where it might be a, an expert on a particular band or artist or something like that, ever since it's been primarily musicians and singers who've come on. So I kind of, the 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 short answer to the the ramble that I've just given you is that it was it was to support my mental health. Um, podcasts that I was listening to um, were probably certainly not independent ones. Um, I was listening to Talk is Jericho, uh, Chris Jericho's podcast. I'm a big wrestling fan. And obviously he's in a band called Fozzy as well that I, that I really like. Yeah. Um, so it was primarily... To be honest, it was probably more... What I like about Jericho's podcast is that it's not just a wrestling podcast. So he gets rock stars on, he gets wrestlers on, he'll, he has ones about the paranormal and, and this, that, and the other. And, and I think I'd, 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 I will have definitely listened to Ricky Gervais's podcast at some point. That'll have definitely been spinning around in my awareness. So I think that was why I had this concept of like, the idea of doing a podcast seemed quite far away. And even like when I'd said I was doing it, my family were like, well, is that a thing you can just do? And I'm like, I think so. I'm going to try. <laughs> but then six years on, you know, here we are. And it's uh, kind of bigger than ever, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've had, you've had a heck of a lot of, uh, you've had some really high profile guests as well. You know, re- you know, especially recently, I mean, you know, the you, you know, the one that jumped out at me the most would obviously be Phil Collin because oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 I mean, uh, it, Wow, you know mm. that that must have been quite something. Um, pure, pure luck. Yeah, pure luck. I think what happened there was so. Quite early on, I got into this frame of mind of the worst. Some the worst that can happen is that someone tells me, says no. You know, yeah. someone says no, or someone says piss off, or whatever. So I will quite happily message people, and then I don't get a reply. You know, very rarely, and, and and not for a few years now, there was a point where maybe when it was a bit smaller, where sometimes I would get a, an email from someone saying, thanks, but no thanks, um, which I always thought, well, I, I appreciate you taking the time, really, to to, to reply. But it, the, we did, it was quite early on, There was a, we did an episode on Rumours by Fleetwood Mac, and I decided to make this like an anniversary episode to, to coincide with the album's 40th anniversary. Yeah. And by pure chance, I found Ken Calais, on Facebook who engineered the album yep. and thought the worst thing he's going to do is say, what on earth are you doing messaging me out of nowhere? Leave me alone. But to my surprise, he replied and said, that sounds great. I'd love to come on. So from that point on, I thought, well, if Ken Kelly is willing to do this, yeah, like I think that, you know, I think I can get some, some pretty cool people on here. So, you know, ones that stand out to me, obviously we'll talk about Phil Collin in a minute. Yeah. Obviously Blaze Bailey, who sang with Iron Maiden for a couple of a couple of albums. Yeah. I was really shocked when he'd got in touch. And what was great about that was that uh, he re- I mean that's it's such a fun episode if you listen to that when he, he really got into it. It was Holy Diver by Dio that he chose as his classic album. Great and, choice. Oh yeah. <sighs> such a great album. And what I like to do where possible, obviously there's some albums that are just universally loved. There's others where like there might be a particular critique of a song on the album or an aspect of the album. 
And I like to throw that in just to say, because, you know, there's some, for instance, you know, Damon Johnson, who I've had on a couple of times, he's not afraid to say, I don't like that track. I love the album, but I'm not a fan of that track. So sometimes it's good to like pepper that in. And when I did that with Blaze, he would get really like, who said that? <laughs> that is absolutely <laughs> disgraceful. So like, I love to have Blaze on. But in terms of, in terms of Phil, uh, Phil Collin, that, I mean, that was crazy. Yeah. Basically, once... I, I, like, because I've been doing this for a while, I get a lot of emails from kind of PR companies who are kind of promoting musicians' releases. I've obviously ended up on a mailing list somewhere. You know what I mean? So it implies to me that at some point I've sent an email and, and someone's paid attention. And I've got quite good working relationships with certain PR managers who will come to me and say, I've got this artist, they've got an album coming out. You yeah. know, they know the premise of the show already. Will you have them on? So I'd got this email and it was promoting the Def Leppard box set that came out last year. So it was, I believe, from, was Euphoria in there? I think it's from Euphoria up to Songs from the Sparkle Lounge, which I think is an underrated period of their career, to be honest. I love Euphoria and, and Songs from the Sparkle Lounge is a great album too. But I also had Yeah and um, X. I think Euphoria might have actually been on the last one. But anyway, it was it was a retrospective. And I thought, you know what? Shy Ben's getting out here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna reply. So I just replied and I said, "Oh, you know, thanks for letting us know. Would it be possible for any of Def Leppard to come onto the show and and, and promote it?" Presuming I would never hear anything again, I got an email back saying, "All oh, right, yes, I'm sure we can sort this out." Um, basically, what's the premise of the show? So then I'm thinking, well, when I explain the premise of the show, they're then gonna go, "No, no, we don't like the sound of that." <laughs> so then I explained, and I got this email back saying. Phil Collin wants to do it. He's chose Aladdin Sane by David Bowie. And I was like, holy shit. So then, the irony of it being, obviously, the irony of it being that I'd, I'd attempted to do an episode on Aladdin Sane a couple of years earlier. So we'd had a guest, and, and this happens occasionally, it, you know, sometimes it's my mental health that gets in the way. Sometimes it's, you know, just life. You know, it's never anyone being awkward, but this guy had picked Aladdin Sane as his album. There was a point where I was sat on you know ready to record it just didn't happen it just never happened unfortunately um but i had all the notes ready for an episode <laughs> dedicated to aladdin sane so not only did he say he was coming on he picked an album i'd already done all the research for so i was thinking this is amazing so again I'd, i told a couple of people obviously i never announced these things ahead of time just in case they fall through but i told a couple of like i told my wife and i think i told my mum and that was about it because i thought I thought that this is going to fall through at some point. Something's going to happen, you know. And then I was saying to them, oh, well, you know, just to warn just to warn Phil, it might be quite long. It's like a long-form podcast. Sometimes these yeah. conversations take over an hour. And they came back and they were like, because I think they'd said half an hour. And I'd said, because I thought to myself, well, I was I stuck my neck out a little bit. And I was like, well, could I have an hour? <laughs> and they were like, yeah. yep, you've got an hour. Yeah. No problem. So he came on. So first is this PR manager comes on who was lovely and she was chatting and she'd said, oh, um, yeah, he's, he's got about an hour. He'll be on shortly. Um, do you mind if I stick around? I was like, no, that's fine. Phil pops on yep. and he's a lovely bloke. Really, really nice. As, exactly as you'd imagine. And I'd said to him at some point, I'd said, I'm away when he got an hour. He's a Sheffield exactly. lad. He's bound to be. Yeah, exactly. I said to him, away, you've only got an hour. So, cause I was thinking I can, I can do this in an hour. I can do this in an hour. I says, I'm aware that you've only got an hour. So I'll be as quick as I can. He just went, nah, it's all right. Take your time. 
<laughs> it's like, oh, okay. So what you hear is obviously, and there's there's actually more that you you didn't because obviously when I'd stopped recording, obviously the conversation continued a little bit as well. And he was, I mean, Hysteria is one of my favorite albums of all time, and he told me a couple of stories about uh, about that. And he also answered a question for me, which I've always wondered. That obviously I'm a huge Meatloaf Jim Steinman fan as well. Obviously Jim Steinman was initially penciled in to produce hysteria and obviously the yeah. band have famously you know said that it went terribly joe elliott particularly has had some really harsh criticism about about jim um but i've always thought that the song run riot the very start of it feels very steinman-esque just the riffs that are being played not the whole song right. but just maybe the kind of first 30 or 40 seconds of it and so i'd said to him i was like did you start that song like in like with jim um i've always wondered and he was like yeah we did um so it was just so for me it was just an, an amazing experience and obviously it was all virtual because it was at the, the height of covid and stuff um but yeah just a yeah just a, ph- a phenomenal experience to be able to chat to him and but you know i mean we've had some amazing guests on but that was a that was a pinch me moment for sure love elo of course you do what kind of dim-witted jughead doesn't then listen to face the music an Electric Light Orchestra song-by-song podcast. Every week, I, Eric Paul Johnson, and my co-host, Eric Winsensen, take a song by the Electric Light Orchestra, give the song facts, the history, discuss, tear apart, dig deep into the song itself, give our opinions, chart facts about the singles, and we even consult with the future of humanity on their opinion of the Electric Light Orchestra. So if you don't want to be a dim-witted jughead, then listen to Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra song-by-song podcast. Episodes post every Saturday at midnight Eastern Time and can be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Mixcloud, TuneIn, and iHeart. That was stupid as a butthead. Yep, it's okay. Just took a slightly, slightly, slightly away for a bit. Louise has just passed me a nice Jack Daniels and Coke. Thank you very much. Oh, lovely. Thank <laughs> you. Oh, yeah, and potato wedges as well as a snack. Oh, Thank you. Very nice. Oh. Very nice. <laughs> so before you're doing the show then, you, you, you obviously each time do uh, in-depth research into the actual album in question, and occasionally it's an album that you've not, as we've mentioned before earlier, an album that you're not actually um, don't have any prior knowledge of as well. And then you you must also do a lot of research into the individual guests that you get as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the research into the guests tends to come first um, because I think the way that I put it to people is like, if, if I'd, if I didn't enjoy the music of the guests that I had on, because I like to I like to promote their music as well. So more recent episodes on my classic album, um, I'd say maybe if we're on, we're on about kind of fifty odd episodes now, so I'd say about half of them. Halfway through, I'll play a track from our guest on the album uh, yeah. on, on the episode. So, so for me, I want that to be able. To, I want to be able to say to people. Yes, we're talking about this great album, but I've got this amazing guest who's got this amazing amazing music. Here it is. Go out and buy it. So for me, it would feel disingenuous. It's like you were saying before about like like researching your guests before you approach them. It would feel disingenuous to me to have someone on the show if I thought their music was rubbish. So yeah. for me, and that would only be my opinion either way, but for me, that's kind of the seal of approval. Like if I'm messaging them and I'm saying like, I'd like you to come on the show, um, 
you know, I've I've done that already. You know what I mean? I've checked them out. I know where they're at. You know, I know what they're promoting. All of this sort of stuff. In terms of the the album research, that's one of the main reasons I started my classic album because I had these bands that I loved and these singers that I loved. But I thought this was a really cool way to diversify my music kind of knowledge in my music collection like every track that we every album that we do on my classic album i then buy the album on vinyl if i haven't got it already so obviously that collection is building building quite nicely um but like i said the research it can take it can take quite a while i know that was some of the guests have been really surprised at the research that, that i've done like i know we had jen majura from evanescence on last year which is one of my favorite episodes and and yep. she picked she picked uh an album well Officially, it's by Steve Vai, but it was a super group that, that Steve Vai had put together in the in, in the early 90s um, called Vai. Uh, and the album is, is Sex and Religion. And I'd never heard the album before. Fantastic um, album. It Incredible. is. It, it oh. is. And she, she'd said to me, she was like, it's a bit of, in her words, she was like, it's a bit of a weird one. <laughs> but I was like, no, that's your choice. Let's go for it. Let's do it. And this, I mean, the story of that album, because I think all these classic albums, they have a story. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's something going on in the production of it. Um, but for me, like I say, to, to to dive into that research, and she was saying to me, she was like, like she was laughing. She's like, you've really done your homework on this one. But again, this is someone's favorite album, you yeah. know? So even, you know, obviously there's certain bands that I don't like or certain singers that I don't like, but I'd like to think that I would still approach that with the same understanding the same kind of level of um enthusiasm that, that that i would elsewhere because again this is someone's favorite album and you know what again if you're talking to a phil collin or a jen majora or a blaze bailey like all of a sudden it's a bit different for them like i know a couple have said it in the past that like musicians i think are so used to being like well i've been in the studio this is my new album we're going on tour da 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 for them to all of a sudden become music fans again and be like, oh my God, Steve, I, when this album came out, I loved it so much. And da, da, da. Like, I think they love that kind of, how the format changes. I mean, talking again, to go back to the one I was doing yesterday, talking to The Warning about My Chemical Romance. Like, <laughs> obviously a lot of that was done through their PR manager. And when they came on, I'd said, "Do because it was arranged very quickly, actually. I'd said to them, do you know what's going on? Do you want me to explain the format? Have you had a chance to listen? And they'd said, we've no idea what's going on, but we're really excited because we get to talk about the Black Parade. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, they're really excited that they get to step out of that musician seat for a minute and then sit down in the music fan one again. Um, so I think it's important for me to get that research right, um, you know, to because again, it's their classic album. You know, it's their favourite album. So I need to do that justice, really. Well... I remember I was talking with um, you know you know I'm I'm name dropping here sorry <laughs> so I was talking with Tony from uh, Terrorvision okay and uh, we were chatting uh, this is a few years ago when he he did a, he did a gig somewhere and I had a chat with him we, we spoke for about an hour or so great great guy lovely guy yeah and um, I remember most of the chat that we had was you know because <laughs> you know I, I, unlike you I I am a musician so. We were chatting and we found that, you know, looking back on it, we actually talked more about the music that we loved yeah. than we did our own music, essentially. You know, I mean, I'd, I was, I mean, long story short, I was supposed to be doing an interview with him for, for a, a website back then. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> I forgot to record the interview. And, oh. um, but it was still a great chat. 
and it's essentially in a way I'm glad that I didn't record it and it didn't get published in a way because it ended up being mm. more about his musical taste and what we loved. So we went into things like, you know, what, you know, you know, so just went on tangents of, you know, you know, like Beatles, we talked about the Beatles and talked about, you know, what his favorite, you know, his musical background and all, and all that. And it was more about that. And you find that with a lot of people, even musicians, especially, in some ways, when you get them on the subject of other people's music that they love, it's like we, we can talk for more, for longer about that than we can talk about songs that we've written ourselves, in yeah. a sense. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the thing that obviously, I think that's what appeals to people. So there's, sometimes people will come on and obviously some of them have listened to the podcast ahead of time and they'll be like, oh, yep, get it, ready to go, looking forward to it. Others don't. And there's been a couple of times where, you know, if I perhaps have been dealing with a PR manager um, or someone, maybe, I don't know, someone who runs their website or something, and someone will come in. Like, there was a really good example. We talked about this episode the other day. Um, Obviously, I had had Justin Ross talking about ZZ Top's Eliminator album, which is another really fun episode. I don't think that he was completely clued in as to what we were going to be talking about when he got there. So I rolled in with you know oh why have you chosen Eliminator to talk about on my classic album today and he his reply was oh we talked about ZZ Top's Eliminator and I was like yeah yeah and he went alright okay but then the result of that was just amazing it's the stories that he told and you know obviously the, the memories that he had of the album kind of playing in the um you know, playing in the in, in the biker shops and, you know, getting high to certain songs and, and you know some of the stories that he told were just you know, fantastic. And that was from someone who wasn't prepared at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think he thought, and we did talk about his, his album and stuff a little bit, but I think that's what he thought. So he came away from it saying, like, this has been great. Like, thank you so much. And very often, and it's happened a couple of times, we do have guests who want to come back, um, which I have no issue with. If you've got another album you want to talk about, let's do it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and I, I particularly, I, lo- I love that episode. I mean, we, we were chatting about it for a while, the, the Eliminator album and the effect that it had on... Mm myself because it, it caught me at the right time as well because i was 12 and a half years old so as i yeah. pointed out you know you, you don't forget those videos no absolutely not um <laughs> but like i say it, it is and it's you know i think that's what it is and i think for me you know when i think about albums that you know there's certain albums when people pick them and i'm like get in like i had one recently yeah. where you know obviously there's one coming out in february um where we're gonna look at the total four um and the fact that someone had finally picked a Toto album, I was just like, yes, mm. get in. Like the Especially ones. that one. Yeah, of any of them. Because obviously Rosanna, Africa, among others, you know. But I think, you know, there's certain albums, you know, that are they're there in the back of my mind that I'm like, hopefully someone will pick that soon. You know what I mean? Um, you know, some of them are my favourites, some are ones that I just think will make make fun episodes. Um but, you know, obviously, I think what's great about it is, you know, Rolling Stone, every few years, released a 500 greatest albums of all time list, you know. So I'm not going to run out of material anytime soon in terms of classic albums. And time keeps ticking on, you know. However long I do this, you know, I, I like the idea that potentially, say, in five years, someone might pick an album that came out while this podcast has been around, you know. Um, I think that could be quite a quite a trip, really. It's interesting that you said that because, so I put out a, as you know, I put out a, you know, 
people ask questions, you know, have they got any questions for you? And Brian from Concerts That Made Us, oh, he, yeah. actually, he actually said, he said, is there an album that you're surprised hasn't actually come up yet? Yeah, I'd, there's a few. I'd yeah. say the big one for me that's probably the most surprising, I, I'm shocked that we haven't done Dark Side of the Moon yet. Really, really shocked we haven't done that yet. Having said that, if we haven't done it by next year, I believe that's its 50th anniversary. So that that smells like an anniversary episode to me. Um, you know, if, if we've not done Dark Side of the Moon by then, it'll be an anniversary episode guaranteed because I just think that's such a such a phenomenal album. Um, yeah. So it, it's, yeah. While Mike's, think, while Mike's thinking of that, anybody out there that has any nice things to say about Dark Side of the Moon, get them recorded and get them to him because then he might be able to slip them into the episode. Oh, definitely, definitely. I think what's great about the anniversary was, I mean, talking about Brian from from concerts that made us. Yeah. Um, obviously, his his podcast is fantastic. Um, you know, and such a great podcast community. To be fair, um, you know, on on Instagram, but obviously Brian, there was Bob for the Rock Guys podcast, and the guys from yeah. Sound Purchase. They actually sent them a message for our last anniversary episode, which is thirty years of Nevermind by Nirvana, and yeah. I got those guys to send their thoughts on the album, and I popped that in. Um, which was just a really fun thing to do, which I'll likely do again when we do anniversary episodes. Because again, they all just came from kind of different, different corners of it. You know what I mean? So obviously, you know Bob. You know Bob's podcast is so like um, these kind of quick bites and really informative, and you know his voice has so much personality to it. So yeah. then his his thoughts on the album were really interesting. Obviously, Brian. You know Brian's thoughts were really cool, and then obviously the sound purchase guys and. And again, because they're all from kind of different places around the world, it was almost kind of like, it wasn't just kind of me, the guy from Northeast England, yeah. talking with my school friend about it. All of a sudden, it was this kind of global view of the album and the impact it had, which I thought was was really nice. I'm almost beginning to wish, that, beginning to hope that you didn't use the footage I sent you, actually. <laughs> I, think I, I think I sent you a sound file about my thoughts on it, and I can't remember. Uh, I'd I, don't know if I, I don't know if I got it. I'll have to look. I wonder if that went into my junk or something. I never got that. Okay. Okay. I'll have to have a look for it. Okay. Because I, I oh, remember sending. I remember sending something. I think I was talking about. Um, I mentioned about Nevermind. That in a way, um, it was an album that I knew it was around at the time. And, and funnily enough, we actually we actually did. I think we uh, the band I was in at the time. I think we did Come As You Are mm. uh, as a cover version, but. It's an album that grew on me over time. More, you know, it wasn't such a huge hit with me initially. It took time for it to grow on me. Yeah, and I don't know I think, why. I think what's interesting about that album, and I didn't realize this until I was recording the podcast for it. Yep. So Nathan, who was my guest, is a, an old friend of mine. So we'd had him on once before, well back in the beginning when I was still getting friends on the show. But he's also uh, he's in quite a few bands who are that are doing quite well over here in the UK. Um so we decided to to have a chat on about about Nevermind. And I think what I hadn't realized was how much that album was a bit of a gateway for me to of Nirvana in general was kind of a gateway to some of the other stuff that I listened to. So obviously me and Nathan we're, we're friends in secondary school. We're about 13, 14 years old. He was very into the Beatles. So yeah. I had quite a big exposure to the Beatles at the time. But he also really liked Nirvana and, and, and Nevermind. So I think for me, that was the point where I was very much in that classic rock, Queen, Bowie, Elton, these things we've talked about. 
a little bit of kind of new romantic stuff. I was listening to a lot of like Spandau Ballet and Duran Duran and stuff around that time as well. But then I think this is where Nirvana was the point where all of a sudden that then opened the door to things, weirdly enough, to things like Guns N' Roses and Ozzy Osbourne and Metallica. And it kind of widened the scope for me a little bit. And I didn't really realize that until me and Nathan were, were talking about it. So are you what what I mean are you select you're not selective at all then about what genres you you would include in the show No no I don't think so I think because of the people that I message and I think it is it it is a rock podcast it is but I don't think I would ever yeah, I, I, I don't think I am. I think, obviously, I mean, we, we, we've done a Stevie Wonder album in the past. Yep. Um, so that was, I think, the, the the albums that aren't rock albums that have come on have been a bit of a curveball in terms of that the guest has picked that album and maybe I wasn't expecting it. But I, but a really good curveball. Do you know what I mean? Like, I love yep. it when they come out with an album and I'm like, I did not expect you to pick that. Brilliant, let's do that. So three stand out for me. So one was um, Mark Danzeisen, who drums for a band called River Dogs and yep. he chose Fulfilling the Spurs Finale uh, by by Stevie Wonder and it's because he'd said to me he was like well I love the Beatles but I love Stevie Wonder as well um, oh I'll just do Abbey Road I think was how the email had gone and I'd said well no like if you want to do Stevie Wonder like I was like pick whichever album you want like that's that's the yep. premise and he was like wow brilliant Stevie Wonder it is then Fulfilling the Spurs Finale Um Savannah Pope, who we've had on a couple of times, she said to me, and obviously I'll, I'll, I'll not name the other podcast here because I'm not into kind of knocking other podcasts, but she'd been on a similar format previously. Yep. Um, and she'd said to me, so what's kind of the, the boundaries for the album? And I was like, as long as it's pretty well known, because I need to do some research on it, and it hasn't been taken, it's wide open. And she'd yep. said to me, I was on a previous podcast and I asked to do the soundtrack to the Rocky Horror Picture Show and I was told, no, pick a proper album. Wow. And I was and I was like, hell no, we're doing that. <laughs> like, absolutely we're doing that. So yeah. that was our first soundtrack. Um, you know, with uh, you know, we did Like a Prayer, uh, by Madonna. Again, obviously about as pop as you can get. So for me, it's just about kind of where where people go and what people pick. I think the closest I've come to I don't think I've ever kind of like turned I've never said to someone like, no we're not doing that album you know the closest i've come is i remember talking with someone this was a while back now um, and i don't think it was a musician i think it was just it was quite in the early days and it was someone who was interested in, in, in coming on and they picked a kanye west album and i just kind of get with with kanye west's music or it's just not my thing so i was all ready to do it but it kind of fizzled out and part of me wonders was that a, a subconscious thing on my part that i just didn't feel into it you know what I mean? Which I don't think is fair, really. I think maybe I should have kind of pursued that a little bit more. But I think, you know, obviously it is predominantly a rock podcast. Obviously the the music that we play on it is rock. You know, even the titles that I've picked for it is rock. But if someone was to come and pick something totally out of left field, like I'm never going to say no to that, you know, because I think it's, I think that's part of the, part of the fun. So, so if I said I wanted to come on and speak about, oh, I don't know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go all over the place here. So, if I wanted to speak go about the the inner mounting flame by the Mahavishnu Orchestra or uh, a kind of blue by um, Miles Davis, then you'd be mm-hmm. up for that. Yeah, we again, we were so close to doing a Miles Davis album. I think it was relaxing, um, but again, unfortunately, um, and again, that was through no one's uh, no one's fault. Sometimes these things fizzle out when we just can't match our availability, or you know, 
there might be something, you know, there might be stuff going on where I'm like, hey, I'm sorry, I can't do this. Can I get back to you in, in a few weeks? And that's my regret that sometimes people have picked really good albums and then through no one's fault, it just fizzles out. Um, and that always disappoints me. But, you know, obviously it was, we, we nearly did do um, a, Miles da- a Miles Davis album. But, you know, absolutely. I think, yeah, if, there, if that was what someone picked and I could, as long as I've got enough kind of material to research and ask the questions and dive into it, yeah, absolutely. I'm waiting for you to go off now and look up the Mahavishnu Orchestra. <laughs> yeah, that's for later. That's for later. <laughs> that, is a, that is a good dive. That is a great mm. dive to go down yeah. there. Yeah. I think I'm, my dive at the moment that, I, that I've just started, and again, it's due. And this is one of the things about the podcast. So there were certain bands I'd never listened to before, and then someone picks the album and I do a bit of a dive, you know what I mean, afterwards. So I'm like, I really like that. I'm going to find out some more. So the latest one um, is Frank Zappa. So we've got some, someone's done the done. Someone's chosen all three acts of Joe's Garage. It's going to be the first episode of season four. If anyone's, I, I, I don't know if you heard that album before. I certainly have. <laughs> yes, I have. I love and that's that. A, that's a that's a knowing a knowing response as well. It is. It? It's, it is. It's that, that is, I, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the guy who's chosen it is, is, is a guy called Troy Redfern, who, um, again, awesome blues guitarist. He, he's nicknamed the King of Slide over here in the UK. And he'd originally said a night at the opera, and I was like, ah, oh, sorry, man, we've already done it. And he was like, right, Frank Zappa, then let's do Joe's Garage. Now, I'd never, I think I'd heard the album, but I'd never listened to it before. And I'd said to him, are we just doing, because Zappa aficionados will know he released it in kind of two parts. Um, so I'd said, are we just doing act one or do you want to do the whole thing? He was like, ah, screw it. Let's do the whole thing. <laughs> so, and again, it's just a, one of the craziest albums I've ever listened to, but I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So my deep dive at the minute, I'm, I'm really kind of starting to explore Frank Zappa and there's obviously there's, there's plenty to explore. So yeah, hopefully we'll do some more Zappa albums in the future. Yeah. Have you listened to Hot Rats? I have, funnily enough, I was listening to that while I was working the other day. Um, yeah, no, I really enjoyed Hot Rats. Yeah, yeah, that's possibly my favourite Zappa album, maybe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, de- definitely, like I say, I mean, to be, I'm still quite early in the deep dive, but Hot Rats was one of the ones where I thought, yeah, everyone talks about that album, I need to, I need to, I need to get into that one. Yeah, Brian from Concerts That Made Us also says, have you got an ultimate dream guest or any, you know, any ultimate dream guest, plural? So I've, I've got a hit list. That was how I referred it to. So someone someone asked me this previously, and I referred to it as my hit list. So these I've got some that I think are quite, for lack of a better word, realistic, that I don't think I'm shooting too high in the sky. Because I think if I've got Phil Collin from Def Leppard, I feel like, you know, I feel like I've got a, a good shot. You've got to I'd get Joe. Oh, that'd be mint, wouldn't it? Because I mean, well, to, Joe would pick Joe would pick an amazing album, surely. Because I think obviously he's all ground in that kind of sort of T Rex, Thin Lizzy, Bowie seventy stuff. You he would pick some some awesome stuff. Um, I think I think for me, if I if I was saying if I could pick anyone, you know, sort of high in the sky again. I think we're talking Queen. I think Brian or Roger it would be the pinnacle. I'm not saying that I think that's going to happen anytime soon, but the yep. thought of chatting with either of them about music would be amazing. In terms of guests that I think that I would potentially have a shot at getting on, judging from the people I've had on before, um, I'm very into 
a band from Kentucky known as Blackstone Cherry. So I always name drop them whenever yeah. I'm in an interview because I think they're absolutely amazing. They they do really well over here. Like the their albums always do well and they sell out tours here in the UK. I get the impression they're maybe not as well known in America. So I always just make sure to, to kind of name drop them. And um, any of Blackstone Cherry, I think, would be phenomenal. I know the guitarist Ben Wells is really in the Aerosmith. Yeah. And again, I'm quite surprised we've not done an Aerosmith album yet. So that would be cool. There's a great Scottish singer-songwriter uh, called Amy McDonald, who yeah. I've followed from kind of, oh gosh. I mean, her first album was 2007. And I think I spotted her in like one of the small tents in a festival in London. And I've followed her career kind of all the way through. Um, I'd love to get Amy on the show at some point. Uh, Rich Ward, who's played with Stuck Mojo and, and Fozzy. Um, so these are the people that are kind of on my on my list where I'm like, yep, I'd, I'd love to interview. I'd love to interview them. Just... I'd be interested at the choices that they pick, to be honest. Um, you know, particularly the Blackstone Cherry guys, because their their music, it's like it's very southern rock, it's got that Leonard Skinner feel to it. But there's like, you know, obviously some of their albums are very bluesy, some of them are very metal, like they've got a lot of influences cooking in there. Um, for me, they're probably the best live band on the planet right now. They're absolutely phenomenal. What's up, everybody? This is Chris from the podcast Real Film Reviewed, and you're listening to Marv on Pods Like Us. Cool. So what do you, how do you record and then edit the show? So what I've been doing more recently, so over the last year or so, I've been using a site called Squadcast. Yep. Um, so there is, I think there is a free package, but I pay like a, a small monthly fee because they kind of store stuff on the cloud for me and stuff as well. So um it's really, really good. I think it's similar to what we're using today in that it, obviously it, if anything was to happen, which has happened a few times. So I know the interview I did with Ron Bumblefoot Thal, yeah. there was a few technical things going on there where like I would dip out or it would suddenly stop recording and, and random stuff like that. But it would save it all on the cloud. So, you know, you know, I, I've, I've had interviews in the past um, early on where, you know, if something like that happened, you know, I might lose five minutes of, of what I'd done. And there's nothing more devastating than that when you're like, oh, my God, like that wasn't what they said there was was amazing, but I've lost it. It's gone. So I use Squadcast and I've had no problems with it at all so far in that it kind of saves everything. The quality is really nice. Um, and then I literally I use I mean, I mean, I do it all on a Chromebook now, which I think is crazy. I've used a laptop. I've used a MacBook. Yeah, unfortunately, the MacBook um, broke down not long after I'd had it, and and I, I stupidly didn't get any cover on it. But my wife got me a Chromebook for Christmas, and I I was a little bit like, oh, I don't know if I'll be able to do everything that I normally do on there. But obviously, because Squadcast keeps everything on the cloud, I just download stuff as I need it, and I just use Audacity, um, which is just a free editing software that I downloaded, and that works great. You know what I mean? Um, so I'd. I don't spend a lot of because I know some people who spend quite a lot of money getting their podcast where they want it to be every, you know, every every couple of weeks. But like for me, like I think other than obviously, I pay a little bit for the website, pay a little bit obviously to the the host that that, that uh, I upload it to, and I pay a little bit to Squadcast. But you know, I don't miss that money going out, and I think that kind of cost versus benefit, kind of the impact it has on my mental health to be able to to do something like this. Um, and obviously get the the amazing feedback I get from from people that makes it makes it all worth it really. 
Yep. And you've just reminded me of a, a laugh out loud moment, you know, when you were trying out Bumblefoot's um, different uh, sauces. Oh, gosh. We found it's funny. We've recently <laughs> moved house and yeah. I've decided I want to keep, I want to keep that, like, I, I've, I think I've, I've tried it once more since. Uh, but for anyone who doesn't know, so Bumblefoot's got like a range of hot sauces as well as being this celebrated guitarist. And it was Jen Majura put me in touch with Bumblefoot. So I've admired him for years. Yep. And after I'd interviewed Jen, she'd been like, I've really enjoyed myself. I know all these people, like, just say the word and I'll, I'll message them. So... Yeah. I thought at first it was just like, because I still talk to her now sometimes, which is just a trippy thing. It's like, I'll just be on my phone and Kelby be like, oh, who's that? Oh, I'm just talking to Jen. <laughs> like, it's just like really bizarre. But um, like she basically she'd said about Bumblefoot and then I didn't hear anything for a while. I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe she's busy or maybe she was just being polite or something like that. And then randomly one day a message popped up and she was like, oh, he's listened to my episode. He's really excited. He's chosen yes as going for the one. But then I was trying to think of ways that I could promote the episode and I thought about his hot sauces. So I'd put a poll on Instagram in terms of like he had, I can't remember the name. There's one that's more of a barbecue sauce, which I can't remember the name of off off the top of my head. But the other one, which is like, it's one of the hottest hot sauces in the world. I think it's something like 6 million Scoville (laughs) units or something like that. Um, Excuse excuse my French. It's called Bumblefucked. So so I put this poll up stupidly thinking, you know, oh, well, people might be kind to me. And of course they weren't. But then I didn't realize how much pace this would would gather. So I would said, oh, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I did an Instagram live video while I was recording the link. So Uh the podcast isn't live, but I thought, well, I want people to see that I'm doing this legitimately, that I'm not just pretending, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And then anyone people anyone who's listening might have have watched this. Jen Majura, who was, she was actually, she was a she was at a festival in Germany at the time, and she then kind of came in on the live video and was introducing it. Loads of her followers came in, so all of a sudden, I've got hundreds of people watching me try this hot sauce while I'm trying to record my links for this episode. But uh, <laughs> so I'd, I'd, I'd sent him an email after. I was just like, because obviously I'd, I'd interviewed him before that, and I always record the links after. So I'd sent him an email afterwards, being like, "Well, that was fun." <laughs> so, but he said, "No, again, another another kind of pinch me moment to." get uh, to get Bumblefoot on because he I mean he picked a great album and the, the chat again was yeah. was so much fun yeah fantastic album I love that album yeah so the music and sound then so how do you get get around you know and find where did you find the music and you know all the sound that you yeah the sounds that you use if you do use them yeah I don't use much in the way of sounds I remember it I have to check if they're still there. In the very early episodes, I thought I was being like really like techie. And to say if the episode was Revolver, so like anyone who listens to the podcast will know, like I'll do a little bit of an intro and then I'll be like, right, let's get, here's everything you need to know about Revolver. And then there's a little package which kind of goes through the facts and figures of the album. And I thought I was being really kind of like, I don't know. I don't know what I thought. (laughs) But I would like in in the early ones, because I definitely changed the music over at some point. Um, I'd have this like my voice would like affect some going like revolver <laughs> like that which was awful <laughs> I, I hope I took that out I'm going to have to listen back to them tonight and see if I did but anyway in terms of the music that I've got at the start yep. um, I went on to like a 
like a music website. So I bought, obviously other people can use it, but I bought the rights to use that music quite early on. So it was kind of a one-off payment. Um, and obviously I've got the documents now kind of on my, on my computer that that's, you know, obviously I, I put it in the credits of every podcast description. It's a, it's a track called This Is Rock. Um, surprisingly. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I paid for the copy. Well, I paid to use that, but it was a one-off payment. And obviously I can use that for the purpose of podcasts because I used another one initially. And then I was looking over the document one day and I realized that it didn't actually give you the right to use it on a podcast. I was like, oh crap. So then I went in, but I, I prefer the one that I've got anyway, um, oh. which, which we've had for a long time. Um, so um, obviously I, I promptly, obviously any episode you listen to now will have the this is rock on because I, it was only about two or three episodes in. So I then had to go back and re-edit those episodes with the new music in because I thought, well, I don't want to get into trouble for using music in the wrong context, you know? Um, yeah. But this one, absolutely. I can use it for podcasts. Um, and it's, it's funny, the old one I, I hear in the most random places, it must be one that's used quite a lot because I've heard it on TV adverts and stuff before, but I've never heard this is rock anywhere else yet. So I feel like that's still mine. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure other people do use it, but uh you know, for me, it just makes me think. Obviously, I hear it, and I just it just makes me think of of my classic album. Obviously, well, yeah, it's a bit like uh, you know when I was younger. I, I, you know, I'd listen to idea, you know, old little love and think of top of the pops from the late seventies. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it's funny, like like my wife was saying one time, like she. <laughs> So sometimes if I'm just editing, but not like intensely editing, so say I've done the interview and I'm just dropping stuff together, and so that's when I'll put the music in. And I'll find myself there's like a little bit where the music goes like and like I'll find myself just doing that, like humming that to myself while I'm piecing stuff together. And she walked past and she was like, What are you doing? It's like, oh sorry, I'm just putting this together. Um, so no, I think it helps to like it. I've sometimes wondered, like we've changed the podcast art over the years. I've sometimes wondered, like, especially because I've made some really good friends who are very talented musicians. I've sometimes yeah. maybe considered reaching out to them and saying, like, do you want to record something new? Um I, do, I like what I've got, so I think I think we'll stick with it for for a bit longer. It, it's funny you say that because the um, the intro music that, I, that that's for the other show that I do, the George Harrison related pod, podcast. Yeah, I actually did the music for that, and then uh, my co-host on that said to me something, and unfortunately, it fell through because the person involved became ill and mm. wasn't able to actually do it, and. So to, to give it away, initially, uh, I put down, I think I put down some guitar, uh, a couple of guitar tracks. Mm. And then uh, that was that was all it was going to be, was just this couple of guitar tracks, uh, you know, just put together and, you know, as a bit of a, you know, relaxed ease into the show. And it was sort of Indian style based, you know, using an Indian uh, scale. Yeah. And then uh, he said, so he sent me the message and what was going to happen was, one of the ex drummers of Wings was going to add some percussion over the top and get his uh, ah. his friend who was a bass player to add something to it as well. And until it fell through and he, he became ill, the drummer, you know, Danny Sywell, mm. it was like a mo one of those moments where, where it's like a pinch me moment. I'm thinking, you mean one of the drummers of Wings is going to play on something that I've done? Yeah. As a podcast intro? That's like weird. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? And I think that's why and it, it, it makes me think about when you get these certain guests, because again, I, like the Phil Collin thing, like I didn't want to tell anyone until it was yeah. done. And then like I decided to hold off and announce it on the 50th episode, because usually, you know, so last night, finished the interview with the warning, 
Yeah. On so check check it's recorded. Social media, the warning are coming on my classic album. That's always how it works. With Phil Collin, I held on to it for a week. And that was one of the hardest weeks of my life. Cause like even people at work who know that I do a podcast they were like, Oh, so do you have anyone good on lately? And I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> just, couldn't, just couldn't say anything so then obviously on the 50th episode i was able to like reveal it and then it was just this big exhale I'm like oh thank god and to be fair i mean i had ian haugland from europe on that episode so i mean yeah. that was was a bit of a get as well that was a get as well absolutely yeah yeah i think that's the next one i've got lined up to listen to actually is that one Oh, there's, that, that, that was a nice bit of a celebration of 50 episodes really there's a, a few bits on there there that are quite nice so what advice would you give to people starting a podcast for the first time? This will sound so simple to just do it, just to go for it. Like, I think for me, like I said, there was lots of like, Oh, you know, can I do this? I think I I don't use anchor, but I've heard that anchor is free. Um, so if it's something that you're not wanting to kind of commit much, you know, if you're thinking, well, I don't want to spend money on this. I just want to see how it goes. You know, a friend of mine, I think I was saying to you kind of um, earlier on there, good friend of mine um, who I'll, I'll name check in case he's listening. So my good friend, Sean Kimberly, he's recently started a podcast called, called the phase pod. And again, he's still kind of getting to grips with kind of, you know, the podcast. Well, he's only done a couple of episodes. I think he's still trying to work out what he wants it to be about and all of that sort of thing, which is part of the journey, isn't it? It's, it's that sort of, discovery of it but i know that he uses anchor because again he doesn't have to pay for that do you know what i mean he can just do it he can experiment he can work out what he wants to do with it you know you listen i i remember i've been one of the episodes and i've been meaning to to re-upload it and tidy it up but there's an early episode of my classic album where we do bob dylan's time out of mind and even kind of when i've set it up so it was a face-to-face interview which i've not done many of since but it was with a guy called adrian nation really cool dude um interviewing him but the mic's clearly in the wrong place because he's really quiet. You can, you know, and there was a review on some podcasting site where they were like, well, the podcast is good, but I, I can't, I can't hear the guest. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But this, that's part of it. I think it's part of the, the early thing, you know, work, working out, you know, cause again, you don't want to splash out all this money on like a, a fancy mic and paying fees to upload your podcast and website and stuff and the other to then think actually this isn't for me like I, yeah. I don't really enjoy it so i'd say just just go for it have a bit of fun with it you know what i mean no one's gonna you know what i mean like if you told me when i was talking to my friend robin six years ago about the beatles that i'd be talking to the guitarist of one of my favorite bands of all time five years later i wouldn't have believed you you know what I mean? No. So just 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 dive in and do it. And I do sometimes get I had I've had the odd message from kind of people wanting to start a podcast who've 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 said that kind of like how do I get started? And it's like literally buy yourself a mic, you know, plug it in and go and see what happens. Right. I don't know whether this is meant as a, as a serious question or not because I don't <laughs> see how it works. Figures really. Uh, the, the, the guy, the presenter of Not To Be Technical podcast named Nafis, he says, mm-hmm. what's your least favourite holiday tradition and why? That's a good question. <laughs> um, let's have a think about this. I think the thing that springs to mind, and this is, this is a hot take, this is a controversial opinion that I think most of your listeners will disagree with. I don't like Christmas pudding. Okay. 
I don't like Christmas pudding. So I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas, yep. but I don't like Christmas pudding. So I know, obviously, I got my mum in laws for Christmas Day, and not because of me. Like generally, she just has a few desserts on the go for Christmas. Um, but I never go for Christmas pudding. I just don't enjoy it. But also, I don't drink. So obviously, if there's brandy in it, obviously that that's a big part of it too. So I, I stopped drinking a few years ago. So okay. I feel bad now having drunk that Jack Daniels and ah no, don't worry, don't worry about it. So we're going to come back to the top fifty, the top fifty, top the, your five <laughs> favorite, not fifty, five albums <laughs> in a bit. Because I'm going to say now that the five albums are going to be part of a Patreon extra that you uh, will find oh. on the Patreon. That I'm going to cool. start doing extra episodes for Patreon soon. Awesome, awesome. So, where can people find you and get hold of you then, Mike? So. Basically, I'd, I'd say the if you're into your social media, there's obviously the, the three the three channels there. So if you get if you just search for my classic album with Mike Norris on Facebook, we turn up there. If you get yourself on Instagram, which is probably over the last year has become kind of like the main social media page, to be honest, which surprised me. But um, my classic album podcast, yeah, it, it um, seems to be the go to now actually Instagram for for yeah. podcasters. Yeah, which is great. There's an, I mean, we talked about it before. There's an amazing community there. Obviously, you know, there's yourself. We talked about Brian and and Bob and stuff earlier. You know, there's a great page, uh, Podcastagram, who obviously after I'd kind of collaborated with them early last year. Again, that's a lot of attention. Absolutely, massive shout out to Pat. Um, you know, <laughs> we've uh, you know we've had a we've had a couple of kind of Instagram lives a couple of times, and we always have a good laugh. Uh, he's, yeah. he's really cool. Um, but yeah, the, for Instagram, it's my classic album podcast. Or as some people often misread it, my classical bum podcast, which <laughs> <laughs> which, which I love. But a few people have done it now, and like I just like yeah, it's all the time. Um, and then Twitter at mca underscore podcast, and then our website is www.myclassicalbum.co.uk. I'm gonna have that stuck in my head now. <laughs> yep, my classical bum. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. If anybody wants to look for Pods Like Us, just search for Pods Like Us on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, on Twitter. There's a Twitter page as well. I'm trying my hand at TikTok, but I don't know how it's going to work. Mm, yeah, I'm the same. Mm. I was thinking about that. But I'm we'll not see. sure. Not sure how that one works. I've, I, there's an account there, and I've not put anything on it because this is an audio podcast, which makes it a bit difficult. Yeah, um, and um, oh, I can't, I can't for the life of me remember the Patreon page. Now that I'm trying to get Patreon people into it, but I think if you look up Patreon and then look up Pods Like Us, I think you'll find the page. I would have thought. Hopefully, quick edit here to say that it is Patreon.com forward slash Pods Like Us. That's something I was considering having a dive into, but I, I don't know enough about it. I think I need to have a bit of a look into it. As I was saying to a friend earlier on, I almost feel bad doing it in a way because it's almost like, you know, I'm providing a podcast mm. and it's almost like begging for people for, for a bit of money to help out when, you know, and it's, I, I feel like almost <sighs> I should be offering it for free and then, yeah, maybe it's mm. a British thing. I don't know. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I've had, I've had a similar a similar dilemma, to be honest. It's a quandary. Anyway, thank mm. you everyone for listening, and I hope you're listening again to another episode of Pods Like Us.
quick edit here for a fact check. Roger Taylor and John Deacon of Queen both appear on the songs Too Young on the album Ice on Fire and on the song Angeline on Leather Jackets. <laughs> 